Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. And what's the answer to the pain in this world? What's the answer to the pain that we often experience in our lives? And uh, I'm grateful for doctors. I really am. Uh, but today, I want to encourage you that we're going to look at another one of the compound names that we find in the Bible uh, that, uh, that reveal the very character uh, of, of, the, of the God that we serve. And so we've been in this series, we're calling Hello, My Name Is, and uh, what we're doing is, is we're unpacking uh, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, and, uh, and those compound names that give us a window and a look into who our God is, who do we serve, who is our God, into uh, a look into a window of his character and his nature. Names, uh, as we've stated throughout the Bible, were more than just uh, a, a label to make a dinner reservation or, or, or just something that somebody calls you. They, they, they revealed the nature, the character, and oftentimes the destiny of someone. And so as we, as we look into these names, through understanding these names, we get a window in a picture into who God is, who God is, who he really is. What is his character? What is his nature? And as we've stated, there are a lot of different beliefs when it comes to the, the simple name God. God is a, a, a title. And the word Elohim for, for, for God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is also used in the Bible when you see little g, God's different little Elohims, but they're not supreme. They're not El Shaddai, God Almighty. They're, 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 they're not Yahweh, I am who I am. And so God revealed himself to Moses on the backside of the desert when he said, who do I tell the Israelites has sent me? He said, you know, I know that you say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers. But I want to know, who are you? Who is your name? And God responded with, I am, I am who I am. Or I, who I am and whatever I am, I will be. That I am constant. That I am forever. That I am changing. That I am, ne- excuse me, never changing. That I am supreme. And you see, God directly speaks in what we're going to look at today in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today. God specifically speaks to the pain that we oftentimes experience in our lives, the circumstances that leave us hurting uh, emotionally and physically and spiritually and mentally. And today we're going to see that in that, God promises that He and reveals Himself as a healer, as the God who heals, the Lord who heals. So let's look at Exodus chapter 15. So if you've got a copy of God's word, I encourage you to open it up. Or if you've got a digital copy on your phone, go ahead and turn it on. Exodus chapter 15, this is where our story is going to begin. The first part of this story, the Israelites have just passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And maybe you don't know the backstory to that. Uh, but if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston, how many have ever watched that before? Uh, and you've seen that dramatic scene, right? Moses raises up his staff. The Israelites are, are against the Red Sea. Their enemies, the Egyptians, are, are pursuing them. And whew, the waters roll back and, and, uh, and, and dry ground. And they're able to proceed 
a cross. Now, God has done many amazing miracles and, and had demonstrated that through the plagues that, that allowed the Israelites to see that he was supreme even over the gods of the Egyptians. He demonstrated his mighty power. But here they are. Pharaoh has finally said, okay, I let you go. You're free. And they head out and they're led by way to the Red Sea and they come to the Red Sea and they cannot part it. It is absolutely just too vast, too difficult. And they turn around and what do they see? They see the Egyptians pursuing them. They change their mind about their free workforce. They said, hey, we don't want to lose our free workforce. Who would, right? We changed our mind. They come pursuing them. And so you have the mighty armies of the Egyptians coming pursuing the Israelites and they can't move any further. They are, there is a barrier between them and being able to move forward. And they were sitting ducks. And yet out of seemingly nowhere, God performed a miracle. He parted the sea. He dried the ground. He allowed the Israelites to pass through to the other side. And then when the Egyptians came in after them, God said to Moses, put your staff down. The waters came back down, completely destroying their enemies the Egyptians. God closed the walls of water. No human strategy or intervention could have gotten Israel out of that situation. It took a miracle that pulled them out of that and a miracle that every single one of them witnessed and experienced about the power of God and every one of them benefited from it personally. And so in response to that, the people are excited. We've been set free. And what do they do in their excitement? They begin to express praise to Yahweh, praise to the Lord. This is what it says, Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. Their song of praise, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Lord is Yahweh. I will sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has been hurled into the sea. The Lord, that's Yahweh, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, that's Elohim, and I will praise him. My father's God, Elohim, and I will exalt him. The Lord, Yahweh, is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. So you see both Elohim and Yahweh are being used here interchangeably. God is referred by both in this, in, in this song of praise that lasts for the next 21 verses. So for 21 verses, they began to sing out their praise, announcing their trust in the Lord, announcing their trust in Yahweh. They're on an emotional and spiritual high. They have a confidence in God because he demonstrated his power and miracle working power over the enemies. How many of you know that's wonderful, right? But then after the song of praise in verse 21, it ends. And in verse 22, it says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. How many would say, Houston, we have a problem. Right? Having come through the waters of the Red Sea, again, uh, they end up in a very, very, very dry land. They're led into the desert. God is the one who's actually leading, not Moses. It's not that Moses doesn't know where he's going. They're following the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And they're led into this, into this desert. In fact, the word sure, the desert of sure, the word sure there means wall. And that's exactly how they felt. 
They felt like they've hit a wall. Have you ever been there before? You've been on a spiritual high? One moment, maybe you come in, you're worshiping God, just did a great thing in your life. On Sunday, he spoke to you, you were at the altar, you felt, a, you felt just this wonderful presence of the Lord, and you walk out, and you're excited, and you're praising the Lord, and by Wednesday, you're like, man, I just, I, what happened? I just hit a wall. Anybody been there before? Like by the time midweek comes, there's been so many things that have happened that you begin to question and your praise begins to turn into a spirit of despair, a spirit of, of grumbling or complaining or wondering or struggling. What I want you to see today is that sometimes when God gets us out of Egypt, gets us out of what we've been delivered from, and he, we're on the way to Canaan, that's where we are delivered to, oftentimes God will take us through a place or a season of wilderness. A season of wilderness. Oftentimes the only way to get you to where you want to go is through the wilderness. God doesn't take us around it. He doesn't, he doesn't deliver us from it. But he oftentimes takes us through it. Why? Why does he do that? Because we don't like the dry times. Anybody like the dry times? Do you like the desert? Do you like the times when, 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 when you, you wonder, God, where are you leading me? God, where are we going? God, I don't see an end, and I'm certainly right now not seeing your provision. You ever been there before? Yet it's in those moments that we really, we really learn what's on the inside of us. We really begin to see what's, what's happening on the inside. We don't like the dry times, yet oftentimes Scripture reveals that that's, that's the path that God leads us through and the path He leads us to because of what He wants to do in our lives. And after wandering in the wilderness for three days and the people not finding anything to drink, they have a water problem. Didn't they just come from a miracle that God had done with water, with the Red Sea parting? They have a water problem now. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, there seems to be hope off in the distance. It looks like there is a small body of water. Oh, finally, there's a small body of water. <laughs> Oh, but look what happens. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the, play, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? What are we to drink? You know, the human body can only sustain itself for so long without, without water. Uh, they were not just thirsty. They were, they were desperate. They were in need of another miracle. They were in need of another miracle. And yet when they came upon this body of water, when they were so excited that, okay, all right, here we are. Relief has come at last. As soon as they began to, to take a sip of the water, they recognized this water is not something we can drink. It's, it's bitter. It's bitter. Why would God lead us to the bitter waters? In fact, when you look at the root word, Mara, it means more than just bitterness. It's actually the word means corruption of bitterness. Corruption of bitterness. In other words, there was something corrupted within the water that caused it to become bitter. There was something in the water that caused it. And there was a, a, a what, what I want you to see and what we're going to see in the story is that I believe that God had led them to the place of Mara in the wilderness, not because he wasn't going to provide, not just simply because he wanted to do a, a miracle and show more of his power, but because the waters of Mara represent the waters that were still down deep. Deep in the soul of the Israelites, 
bitter waters that were still down deep that that were inside of them that they didn't realize were there and sometimes God will bring us into the place of the wilderness and not not because he is trying to harm us but because he's trying to reveal something that is on the inside of us that he wants to heal that he wants to heal now let me, let me take a look at this because what happens when they get to the waters what do they do What does it say they do? So the people did what? They grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? You brought us out here to die, right? They begin to grumble and and complain. And earlier, they're rejoicing in a miracle of God's provision. One moment, they're rejoicing. One moment, they're praising. One moment, they're celebrating. One moment, they're saying, the horse and the rider throwing, oh, this is the Lord we trust. Yahweh, this is God. This is Yahweh. Woohoo! Right? We trust you. And three days later, they're saying, Moses, why'd you bring us out here? We have no water. Right? Turning, turning to to complaining, their, their, their praise turned to complaints. And I, I don't know, maybe is Jesus correct in Matthew chapter 12 when he says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? Could it be that the grumbling complaining was coming out of something very different inside of them, some kind of bitter waters that were inside of them, something inside of them that God wanted to deal with more than just the waters that they experienced at Mara, but perhaps the waters that were still lurking down deep in their soul that, 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 that God wanted to deal with and wanted to, wanted to heal. God oftentimes reveals what he wants to heal. Could the waters possibly symbolize something more that they had hit the, water, the wall in the desert of Shur and experienced bitter waters at Mara? Where exactly did the bitterness come from? Where did it come from? And, and, and more importantly, What we see is is that the bitter waters inside of them were actually hurting their ability to be able to trust and hurting their faith in Yahweh. They had declared their faith in one moment, but yet there were some bitter waters inside of their inside of their lives that was impacting their ability to trust God and impacting their faith. Despite the power that he had shown, despite the goodness that he had already shown. Inside of them, there was still something they had not dealt with, and it was impacting their faith. It was impacting their faith. You see, when we struggle with bitterness, oftentimes it's because it's tied to disappointment. Bitterness is often tied to disappointment. Either pain or disappointment with someone who who we had expectations, we expected they were going to act differently, we expected that something different was going to happen, we expected when we went into it that they were going to to treat us a certain way or there was going to be a particular outcome and there was going to be something that was going to happen. And then when we experience disappointment, oftentimes disappointment can lead to bitter feelings, to bitterness. Sometimes that happens with the Lord, right? We have certain things we expect the Lord to do. Certain things that we're praying for, that we're wanting God to do. Certain ways in which we expect a blessing to be on our lives. And then all of a sudden we reach a place where God doesn't do what we expected. Where, where what we expected to happen, God doesn't come through or God doesn't do. And because of that disappointment, that disappointment can impact our faith. And if we are not careful, can lead to bitterness in our lives. Many times bitterness goes back to 
a time of crisis. Maybe it was marriage problems or family upheaval. Perhaps it had to do with a financial struggle or a tragic illness that slowly drained the life out of someone that you loved. Maybe you were hurting and crying out to God because of this, believing for a miracle, simply doing the best that you possibly could only to find that, 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 that this trial drug on and on. And rather than things getting better, it just seemed like over and over they were getting worse. Has anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever witnessed that before? And in those moments, in those times of crisis, we sometimes not only have expectations of others where we are disappointed in how they should have acted or what should have been done, but sometimes we look at the Lord and we say, why didn't you intervene? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you healing me? And those bitter waters begin to get stirred up inside of us. And I think that that this is what was happening with the Israelites. A, a seed of disappointment turned into a seed of, of bitterness that took root in their heart. And oftentimes that can happen with us. And over time the root sprang up and, and blossomed. And it continues, if you're not careful, will grow and spread throughout your soul. If we go back to their time in Egypt, I think we can see at least one time where perhaps there was a, a disappointment in the Lord. Perhaps there was one time in which these Israelites experienced some disappointment that maybe they hadn't yet experienced or dealt with. And as a result of that, it was beginning to poison an area of their soul. And here at the waters of Marah, God wanted to, to deal with that, that particular thing. You see, when God had first sent Moses to the Israelites to deliver them out of Egypt, uh, he, he mentioned, he said, I have heard their prayer. I have heard their prayer. And he told Moses, I want you to go to the elders. I want you to go to the people. And I want you to tell them that I have heard their prayer. And I want you to tell them what I'm about to do. I've heard the injustice that they have experienced. And so at first, the Israelites are excited. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 29. And Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed and worshiped. Man, that's a good place, right? Oh, God has hurt us. God is, is going to deliver us. God has hurt us. Praise the Lord. We receive it by faith. We believe it. The Lord has heard. He's finally heard. He's going to enter. He's going he's gonna to step in and he's going to do it, right? How many of you know that didn't happen immediately? Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh, the Lord says to let his people go. To let them go out and let them worship me in the wilderness. The Lord has said, let them worship me. And, and they do the whole miracle with the staff thing that we talked about a couple of weeks. Moses throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. And the, you know, then the Egyptian magicians, they do the same thing and swallows it up and everything like that. And they walk out of there and Moses is, has said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And they walk out of there. But the response of Pharaoh is not... Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yep, your God reigns. We'll let him go. Just take whatever you need and go and get out of here. <laughs> How many know that's not what happens? Do, do you remember what happened? Pharaoh said, these people must have too much time on their hands. If they want to go out and worship and they got all, they must have too much time on their hands. So, so you know what we're going to do? 
we're going to make it more difficult on them. We're no longer going to provide the straw for the brick making. We're not going to provide the materials anymore. We're not, we're not, they got to find their own straw to be able to make their own bricks. And you know what? We're not reducing the quota. They still have to meet the same quota. The work got harder. They, they began to make it more difficult on the Israelites. Rather than getting better, it got worse. And this is what Exodus 5, 20 and 21 says. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet with them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have a put a sword in their hand to kill us. They were, they, were, they were a little angry, weren't they? They were a little upset, weren't they? Why? Because they were disappointed. You said, God, that you were going to deliver us. Moses, you said, this is what the Lord said. You spoke on behalf of the Lord and said, thus saith the Lord, this is what God said. And then, look what happened. Pharaoh didn't let us go. You've made us obnoxious in, in, in his sight. And he's now just made it more difficult on us. And I think in that moment, that disappointment that was really directed at God, not necessarily Moses, but directed it at God, directed at the Lord, began to get inside of their spirit. And even though there were miracles, and even though later on God did what he said it would do, hit the waters of Marah, that same bitterness, those same things, grumbling and complaining and bitterness at the disappointment of the Lord begins to stir up in their hearts. And after only a couple of days, it begins to surface in their lives when the pressure of no water is upon them and they begin to grumble and complain. Oh, isn't that how it is? Isn't that how it is in our lives? When we begin to experience some disappointment, when God doesn't answer as quickly as we want, when things seem to get worse before they get better, in those moments, it's so easy to lose trust in God and to allow the bitterness of disappointment to work its way out of our soul, to come out of our mouth, and our praise and our worship begins to turn to grumbling and complaining. Begins to poison our soul if we're not, if we don't deal with it. And yet here at the waters of Mara, we see a very gracious and compassionate God. We see that God is gracious and compassionate. And it's here that God demonstrates another part of his nature and his character to the Israelites and to everyone who is battling bitterness in their heart. Exodus 15, 25 to 27, And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. Remember, we talked about that last week, about tested them, right? He tests us sometimes. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases uh, that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, that's Yahweh, I am the Lord who heals you, Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. God is revealing this part of his nature to them. And the last verse says, and they came to Elam where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. Now let me just give you three thoughts 
about healing this morning, about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Let me just share with you three thoughts about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. First, we need to understand that the Lord is the source of our healing. The Lord is the source of our healing. When we're in need of healing, when we're up against the wall, when there's something, whether it is mental, emotional, physical, or spiritual in our lives, the source of our healing is the Lord. You see, in the midst of the bitterness, God reveals himself as healer. It says, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord who heals. Healing comes from God. Jehovah Rapha. The word Rapha is used some 60 times throughout the entire Old Testament. And it means this. It not only means to heal, but it means to restore, to heal, or to cure. And that involves physical, emotional, and spiritual. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I would add to that mental health as well. In 1 Kings 18.30, we get a picture of this word Rapha as it is used in, 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 in here to mean repaired. When Elijah repaired, the word repaired is Rapha. The Lord repaired the altar of Jehovah. That's 1 Kings 18.30. And then in 2 Kings 2.21, God heals. That word Rapha is there. Heals the water when Elisha had thrown salt in a spring. The word has the idea of restoring something to its original state. Restoring something to its original state. That's what healing means. To restore to its original state. We can look in other places to find healing. But ultimately, friends, the Lord is the source. And he is the one who heals us. He is the one who heals us. In the New Testament, there is a, a, a woman that's got an issue that she has struggled with for 12 years that is debilitating to her, a debilitating issue. And throughout the years, she had gone to, to all kinds of doctors. She had gone to all types of, and she had suffered at their hands and was not able to receive the healing that she wanted. She tried all kinds of things, but in one desperate time, she pressed through the crowd and thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, how many remember this story? If I could just touch the, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And in that moment, she experienced healing. She knew it. She experienced healing. And that was physically. But you might remember in that story, what did Jesus do? He didn't just proceed on, but he stopped for a moment. Because it wasn't just physical healing that this woman needed. But he stopped. And he said, who touched me? And everybody said, there's crowds all around. They're like crushing us. What do you mean, who touched me? And his power has gone out. Who touched me? Power has gone out for me. Why? Was it to shame the woman? No, absolutely not. Because when she came forward, he looked in her eyes. And he uttered the words, daughter. Daughter. And those words were healing words to her soul. Healing words to her emotionally. While she suffered physically, she also had suffered emotionally. Considered unclean. Stay away from me. You must have sinned. What is wrong with you that you're not getting healed? There must be something wrong with you. But in that moment. Jesus stops everything that he's doing. Even the important thing where he was on his way to try to heal a, 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 a synagogue leader's daughter by the name of Jairus. On, but he stops everything because he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter. Oh, how healing the words of Jesus are. 
And that is what God wants to do. He wants to restore and heal, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. He wants to provide peace to your mind, mental health to your mind. He wants to stop the anxiety and the depression. And he wants to deal with the disappointment and the despair and the bitterness that oftentimes is stuck in our soul. In our soul. God is the one who had, who had been the sore second. God's healing is complete. I've, I've already kind of alluded to it. I can't help it. I get all excited and jump ahead. <laughs> but David wrote this in Psalm 6, 2 through 3. Be merciful to me, O Lord. And this is what he says. This is how he describes his situation. For I am faint. And he cries out, O Lord. That's Yahweh, O Lord. Heal me. For my bones are in agony. And my soul is in anguish. In this verse, we see David crying out for healing. And we see three ways. First, emotional. Be merciful to me, for I am faint. Have you ever been there before? Just ready to give up? Anybody ever been there? You've been ready to give up? Maybe you're like in the desert of sure you're just hitting the wall. And man, I don't know what else to do. I am at the end of my rope. I, there is just, there is nothing more. I just, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I just want to give up. Anybody been there? Some of you might be there today. Some of you watching online, you might be there. You tuned in. But your situation, you are ready to give up. Let me encourage you. The Lord wants to heal you. David experienced that. He said, I am faint. I am faint. Be merciful to me. I am faint. Oftentimes emotional hurts can cause broken hearts. In Psalm 147.3 though, this is what the psalmist said. He heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. God heals the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted, if you're in despair, if you're struggling in your emotional health, I want you to know that the healer, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals wants to heal you emotionally. He wants to heal you. The word broken means to burst or to, to break into pieces, to crush or to smash. And that's what some of you feel like. You're broken inside. You're hurting inside. And you just don't know where else to turn. You're feeling faint and in despair. But the Lord cares about your emotional health and well-being. He cares about your mental health. And that's why Peter tells us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Son, some of you haven't heard that from your dad. Son, my son in whom I love and whom I am well pleased. These are the words that bring healing, healing to the, to the heart and healing to the soul. How about physical? Oh, Lord, heal me for my bones are in agony. There are some of you woke up this morning. You say, David, I identify with you, <gasps> right? The older I get, it seems like there's a, there's sometimes there's just a new pain out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from. You know, I'm not even that old, but I like, there are moments, there are days I wake up, I roll out of bed and I go, Ooh, what happened there? Did I sleep on that side too long? What did I do yesterday? Did I do something yesterday? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on. There are just times where our bones are in agony. There are some of you this morning, your bones are in agony. 
And the Bible is filled with examples of God's healing touch. I mean, 2 Kings 25 to 6, an amazing miracle with Hezekiah who became very ill and he was about to die. And uh, as a result of that, that illness, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was something there. But as a result of his intense intercession, he began to intercede and he was healed and his life was extended. And in fact, it's an amazing account. This is what it says. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David says, I've heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. Oh, I love that. I've seen your tears. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you have been crying and you don't think anybody notices. I want you to know God sees your tears. He sees your tears. He knows the tears you cry. In fact, he knows your grief and, and, and he collects all your tears in a bottle is what the scripture says. He knows your tears. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. And he went and added 15 years to Hezekiah's life. And in the Gospels, we spend, we see an, a, an amazing amount of time where Jesus is healing people physically. And then they're spiritually. He says, my soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord? How long? <laughs> you ever prayed that prayer before? How long, O oh Lord? How long, right? He says, my my soul is in anguish. That's spiritual. My soul is in anguish. And, 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 and I think out of these three realms of healing that we see, Jehovah Rapha sees when you're spiritually sick. And, and he provides healing and wholeness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son, on the cross. Our diagnosis might be bad, but our prognosis and our prognosis seems terminal. But God is the healer. In fact, we might not even know how spiritually sick we are. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9 re re records the incurable condition of our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We, we've been inflicted with disease and death and destruction and desperate need. We are in desperate need of a new heart. Anybody agree? But let me point out something interesting from this story. Going back to Exodus chapter 15. Let's dive back into that story. What was God's response to, to Moses' prayer? It was encourage him and, and, and to, to take a, a stick, to take a, a stick, a part of a tree, and to cast it into the water. And when Moses did, the bitter water of Marah became sweet. You see, sin has left a bitter taste in our mouths. It's left a bitter taste in this world. But Jesus came to give his life on the cross for us, the tree. On the cross for us. He plunged himself into the bitter waters of sin and death. But when he rose from the grave, the bitter waters of sin and death experienced the sweet atonement of the living water, Jesus Christ. He turns the bitter water sweet. There is symbolism within this passage that the only way to deal with the bitterness in your heart is to go to, to the cross, to go to Jesus Christ who paid that debt, who, who took up our infirmities. In fact, that's what, that's what Isaiah 53 says. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Oh, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities, our transgressions, our sins, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We're healed. We're made whole by his wounds. You see, Jesus has always been about fulfilling God's promise 
to heal us. To heal us not only spiritually from the sickness of sin, from the penalty of sin and death, but along with that to begin to provide healing for us in our mental health and healing for us in our emotional health and healing for us in our physical health to restore to the original. To restore to the original. Jesus wants to bring restoration and healing to your life. It's why when Jesus stood up in the synagogue, he quoted from the book of Isaiah and he said, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus came. And once we are set free spiritually, then Jesus can break every other bondage that we are under. And that includes addictions. And that includes deep-seated sin patterns. God can heal us emotionally and mentally and spiritually and physically. He has the power to heal. But there's a key. There is a there is a key, and although we don't earn his healing by good works, there are some times where, where we have to understand that, that faith works itself out through obedience. That if I truly have faith in God, then I will do what he says, right? I'll do what he says. And so I'd be remiss if we just remove the last part of Exodus fifteen twenty six, where he says, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord Yahweh who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. Now, understand this. Eventually, we all get old, and, uh, and, 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 and we face that thing that everybody faces apart from Jesus' return, and that is... Death. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, but Lazarus, to my knowledge, is not still here. Right? I mean, there was a time in his life where he crossed over into eternity. Death is not the end, as we know, through Jesus Christ. Yet, uh, you know, again, there are pollutants in the air and there are, there are things that are a part of the curse, the curse of this world. There are sinful people. There is sickness that is still here. That's not what, what is, is being talked about in this verse. I don't want to give you unfair expectations. What he's talking about, the diseases I put on the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians were in rebellion against God. They, 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 they faced some things because they were simply in rebellion against God and they were worshiping other gods, the, the gods of this age, the gods of this world, the, the gods of their own making. And, uh, and they refused to align themselves with Jehovah and because of, of, of what he had done, his protection was off of them and they experienced the consequences of those things, of those ways. And so I, I believe that, that what God is saying here and in the lesson he wants to teach the Israelites at Marah and wants to teach us is this. If you will follow my instructions, I will heal your bodies. I will heal your emotions. I will heal your relationships. And, and I will be at work in your circumstances. But if you choose to walk the way the rest of the world does, then you will not be immune from the world's diseases. Does that make sense? I'm just going to let that sit for a moment. There, there are times where I counsel with people and, and they don't want to follow what God's instructions are in his word that it will lead to peace in their life, healing in their relationships, that, that, will, that will lead to 
things that will, that will, that will bring about the desired result that they want. They, they want the desired result from God without the obedience to God. Let me just let that sit there for a moment. Because there are some times we want God to be the kind of God who's a genie in a bottle and to bless our ways, to bless what we want, our selfishness. And ultimately, that means we're God and he serves us. Last time I checked, that's not the way it worked. He's God and we serve him. And this is not the case for everything, but there are some times where we face stressors in our lives that are creation of our own making because we refuse to do what God's word says and we choose to think that we know better. And so we begin to face the consequences of those things. We don't follow God's prescription for marriage and we end up with conflict within our marriages. We don't fit, or we, don't, we don't follow God's pattern for relationships. And so we end up with hurt and pain and bitterness that we were never meant to carry simply because we're not obeying the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you that, uh, that when it comes to this area of healing, that there's very, something very important, and that is, what does God's word say? You see, God told Moses, take the, the stick and throw it in, and the bitter waters will become sweet. What if Moses said, that's a dumb idea. I'm not doing that. What's a stick going to do for the, for the waters? What's a stick going to do for the That's dumb. That doesn't make sense. There are times where God may, his word and his ways don't match the culture's ways and you struggle with that. God, that doesn't make sense. God, that doesn't, God, I don't know if I can do that. Everybody else around me is doing it this way and everybody around you is messed up. No? I mean, sometimes we gotta, we gotta do it his way. I mean, take this illustration for a moment. I gotta... Man, I got to get to communion. Worship team, why don't you come so we can just prepare for communion? When you take your car to the, to the drive-through car wash, I mean, they're big right now, drive-through car wash, you know, it, it, it enters dirty, it exits clean, right? But when I drive up to that car wash, there's something that I got to do. There's something, when I, when I go up into that, into that car wash, there's something that I got to do. Those ones, you know, where you, you have the track, you know, and they got to line up. Anybody get nervous about the track? You get, you got to line, you know, they try to line you up and you got to, you got to go in the car wash. Do you know there's something I got to do? Anybody know what you got to do when you get in there? You got to take and you got to take the car out of drive and you got to put it in what? Neutral. And then you got to take your foot off the brake. You got to surrender something. You got to put into neutral. You got to surrender something. The only way to get the car clean is to put it in neutral and surrender control. If you want to experience Jehovah Rapha and his healing, it's time to put the put put it in neutral and let God take control and surrender. Begin to surrender to his plan. Begin to surrender to what he has because what he has is better. You see, when they began to surrender to the Lord and they began to, to, to see that the, the bitter waters became sweet because they, the stick went in when we come to the cross and we begin to surrender, we begin to see that through the atonement, God can make the bitter waters sweet.